in the world of corporate skiing, we're a little family resort, you know, making a go of it and filling a part of the market that in some ways has kind of opened up with that corporatization of the bigger ski areas. People are interested in lower price points for sure, but they're also interested in a different experience. I mean, skiing is skiing and skiing is awesome and skiing at big mountains is awesome. So do not get me wrong. But there is some homogenization of the experience and some Disneyfication and some plastification. And that's just not here. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. Back to Vermont this week, but sticking with the indie theme at Bolton Valley. First, though, a reminder to subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com. Also, follow the storm on Twitter at Storm Ski Journal and on Facebook at the Storm Skiing Journal. Also, I want to tell you about my partners, starting with Heli Hansen. You all know conditions in the Northeast can be unpredictable. And if you ski every week, like my family does, you need to be prepared for anything, especially this season when your car is your base lodge. That's why we are rocking Heli Hansen gear from head to toe to keep us warm and dry no matter what Mother Nature throws at us. Heli Hansen gear is ready for anything because professionals who brave the world's harshest environments have been integral to the development of the brand's gear. This season, I'm gearing up in the Alpha Leafa Loft jacket. And the difference between this and other ski jackets is obvious the moment you put it on. This thing is decked out with a Helitech waterproof, windproof, and breathable outer layer. It is lightweight and incredibly warm, even on the coldest days. I needed to double up my base layers with my old ski jacket, not with the Leafa Loft, plus the Life Pocket which stays two times warmer than a normal ski jacket pocket, keeps my phone from dying while I'm on the mountain all day long. If you want to get yourself new gear or know someone who needs to refresh their kit, visit the Heli Hansen in Boston or Burlington, Vermont, and mention this storm skiing podcast ad to get 18.77% off. Why 18.77%? Because that is the year Heli Hansen was founded. That's right more than 140 years ago. The Storm Skiing Podcast is also brought to you in part by Mountain Gazette. Founded in 1966, Mountain Gazette is a biannual, large format print title celebrating mountain culture. Head over to mountaingazette.com and enter code GOHIRE10 for 10% off subscriptions. Use code EASTCOAST, all one word, for 10% off everything else including vintage magazine covers, which make great art for your home office or living room. I got the first issue in November and it is incredible. This is more of a work of art than a magazine. The thing is huge, first of all. Quality of the writing is unreal. Huge, amazing photos. This is not like anything else in snow sports media. It is very deep, incredibly varied, incredibly well conceived. Grab your subscription today over at mountaingazette.com and you will get a PDF of that first issue as the crew works on issue 195 due out this spring. Mountain Gazette, when in doubt, go higher. Episode 35, Lindsay Delorier, president of Bolton Valley, Vermont. Here's a great Vermont family ski story for you. In the 1960s, a family that doesn't ski founds the state's last major ski area, 
They run it for 30 years, sell it in the 90s, and buy it back in 2017 when a new generation takes over. That's the story of Bolton Valley. If you haven't been there, it is a hell of a good ski area. Big, rambling, fun, great terrain, incredible vibe, tons of snow. And run again by that family, the Deloriers, who have big plans for the place. What kind of plans? Listen and find out. Let's go. My guest today is the president and co-owner of Bolton Valley Resort in Vermont. At 2,100 feet, Bolton Valley has the highest base area in the Northeast. The ski area features 71 trails spread across 300 skiable acres on a 1,700-foot vertical drop. Her family founded the resort in 1966, making it the last major ski area in Vermont to open. Lindsay Delorier is my guest. Lindsay, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So I want to start by talking about your family's legacy at the mountain. Bolton Valley is one of the largest family-owned ski areas in Vermont. But what's unique here is that your family actually founded the ski area back in the 60s. Take us back to that founding. Who was involved and how did they bring skiing to Bolton Valley? Um, Well, the story goes that my grandfather um, had a farm in South Burlington. Uh, right on uh, Dorset Street and where the interstate goes through and the exits there to the Burlington and South Burlington exits are. And um, the government wanted to build the interstate. And so they they needed the land uh, kind of splitting right through his farm. So they did do that and he was compensated for it. And with the money that he got from the interstate coming through, he bought a bunch of land in uh, Bolton. And my dad, who was, you know, young at the time in his 20s, had the idea that, you know, in addition to uh, timbering, which is really what my grandfather had in mind, that um, in addition to logging, that that they should really build a ski area. <laughs> and, um, and so, so that was his idea. And he, he pitched it to my grandfather and you know, I don't know how that went, but somehow I guess apparently, evidently, uh, it was successful. And, um, and so they decided to build the ski area and it was really my dad's project. And then, you know, I would just say that when he built it, you know, he had this, he had this idea, it's close to Burlington and he went to Burlington high school. And, um, he'll always tell you that when he grew up, none of his friends really skied, you know, skiing, there's a lot of skiing in Vermont, but, it was really more sort of an out of state, you know, rich person's thing. And so when he built Bolton, you know, pretty close to Burlington, he had this idea that he wanted it to be a place where his friends could ski, where all the where all the Vermonters could ski. And so the concept for Bolton, you know, with night skiing and kids programs really being at the heart of it was really driven by my dad's idea that that he wanted people, working people and local kids to have a place where, where they could ski to. Was your grandfather a skier? I don't think so. No, it's, it's <laughs> funny. Cause you know, my dad's side is obviously the side that founded the ski area, but my mom's side of the family really were skiers. My grandfather on my mom's side was, um, was a big skier back in the day. And, um, so yeah, kind of funny. Where did your dad grow up skiing? Well, I don't, I don't know that my dad did grow up skiing, honestly. I, <laughs> I guess, you know, I guess I have to ask him what his experience skiing before Bolton was. But, you know, my dad, no offense to my dad, but 
my na- my dad was never a very strong skier. <laughs> <laughs> my mom has always been it was a beautiful skier, um, and she grew up skiing. But but I don't know. I don't know if my dad grew up skiing or if he just thought skiing would enhance his life. <laughs> I guess he thought if he built a mountain, give him a good place to hang out with his buddies, <laughs> and, and that's good enough, right? Exactly. So as you mentioned, a big part of the original mission was, hey, let's give a place where everyone can ski. Let's just give access to this thing because it's it's a great way to be outside. The, the winters in Vermont are long. How has that legacy carried over into how you manage the resort today and what Bolton's identity is today? Well, when we got here, um, or when I got here maybe two years ago, we went through a process of really looking at, at at who we are at Bolton and and devising a mission statement, and um, and that legacy has you know been a really strong part of Bolton. You know, it was for the thirty years that my dad ran the ski area, and I'm happy to say that all the subsequent owners between then and now stayed really true to it. Um, at the heart of it is really, like I said before, our kids programs, our after school program, uh, where we have, you know, 30, 40 schools every year, bus kids up here, and we teach them to ski. You know, back when my dad started it, he'll tell you that he wanted to do it for free, but people don't appreciate free. So he charged him 10 bucks. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, we kind of, we kind of keep that spirit alive. Um, and so for a very affordable price, you know, we're, we're teaching all the kids around us to ski with the after school program. And if you go around Chittenden or Washington County, people who grew up there, there's thousands and thousands of people who learn to ski here through that after school program who otherwise, you know, wouldn't have, wouldn't have probably had access to skiing. And it's become a multi-generational thing now where, you know, a kid who's in our ski program now, their parent learned to ski here and their Maybe even their grandparents learned to ski here at this point. So, and, and that's something that all of the owners, you know, from my dad right on to us again, um, have have stayed true to, and we're really proud of that. So that effort, that multi generational effort to reach out around the state, give people an opportunity to ski, bring them in, give them the first opportunity. I'd imagine that's built a pretty strong loyalty to Bolton Valley and a pretty strong community. Can you talk a little bit about that community and, and that multi-generational uh, loyalty to the ski area that that has its roots in those learning programs? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's funny. It's like it's the slowest sort of most delayed but also smartest long-term business growth strategy you could come up with. It just takes, you know, it just takes 30 years for it to, you know, for it to cycle out. (laughs) Um, No, but I mean, you know, that's true. I mean, for, you know, Bolton is obviously our home, you know, having grown up here and and with our roots here, but, but it's, it's a lot of people's home, you know, for a lot of people coming up here after school and banging around the mountain under the lights with their friends, you know, that's what they remember in their childhood, that that was where they experienced freedom. Um, and it's what they did in the winter and they built those friendships and, um, and they kept coming back and, and, you know, for, for some people, they, um, you know, they get older and maybe they go and ski at some of the bigger ski areas for a while, or maybe they go out West, but then they come back to Vermont, um, and they build their own family and they have their kids and it's a natural choice. You know, it's like Bolton Valley is, is where you ski. It's where you bring your kids to ski and, you come up and you night ski and 
the after school program and and it's just it's it has that kind of a that feeling that community and and people have ownership here you know it's not just our place it's like people really feel their own roots um dating back here through their own generational connection to it and it's meaningful so you're you're it sounds like your family has built a place where families feel welcome and loyal to come back generation after generation there's an interesting backstory here and I want to ask you about it. Your, so your family ran the ski. They founded the ski area back in the 1960s. They ran it for 30 years and then sold it in 1997, then went through a series of owners and then ended up back with your family 20 years later in 2017. Take us through this, Lindsay. How did your family come to own Bolton Valley again? <laughs> well, I don't even know really the answer to that question. <laughs> it seems so surreal. Um, well, the, the, the last owners... Um, Larry and Doug um, owned it most recently, and and um, I think they got to the point where they were ready to move on, you know, from this from this adventure. Um, and so they reached out to my dad to ask him if he would have any interest or if we would have any interest in, um, you know, buying back the ski area. And my dad and my younger brother Evan. They, they, it was really, it was really the two of them who got together and thought that they would be interested in that. You know, I think for my dad, as he, you know, I don't want to speak for him, but you know, he's he's getting older, and and I think for him, the opportunity to bring this kind of, you know, it's kind of his legacy, you know, back into the family and hand it off to the next generation was compelling. You know, while he's still in a position to to mentor us and so forth, and. And my younger brother was just at a spot in his life where he had the the free time and the ability. He's not married yet. He doesn't have kids. You know, the rest of us older kids, he's, I'm the second to youngest and he's 10 years younger than I am. Oh, wow. And um, so all the old, all of us older kids are all, you know, we're already sort of like raising our kids and having careers and doing all these things. And so he was kind of in a, in a spot where he could really hunker down with my dad and try to put the deal together. And, um, and he, you know, again, not to speak for my brother either, but, but, you know, as I look at it, I see, you know, he's the youngest and, and we all grew up here. And, um, in 1997, I think Evan was probably eight, you know, so, so I think, I think he was motivated too, by the fact that, you know, he never really got to experience Bolton Valley like the rest of us did. Um, I mean, he, he still grew up up here, but it's different, you know, it was different. It was under different owners for, for most of his childhood. And so I think for him, it was an opportunity to sort of reclaim that, that future and to reclaim that future maybe for his own kids too. So, you know, not to go too deep into the psychology of what was driving the two of them, but, <laughs> but that's how I see it from, from the outside. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, I think for all of us, this place is home. And, and so we rallied around the idea and, and we were all really supportive and, and excited. So just for you personally, do you have strong memories from your childhood of skiing at Bolton Valley and your family owning it and being aware of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I grew up up here. We, I graduated from high school in 1997. So I spent my entire childhood here working at the mountain um, while my dad was running it. And we owned it my my whole life. Um, that's really how I remember Vermont. And then and then um and then in 1997, in that summer, so we ran right through the 96, 97 winter. So you know, basically I went off to college and, and, and didn't really experience it being under other ownership until, 
I came back to Vermont, you know, as an adult. And, and, and how did you feel about that, about the, the scary and not being in your family? It was very sad. It was actually very sad. Um, so, yeah. So what did it mean to you then to bring it back, to, for the family to get it back? Well, I mean, it, it, so, I mean, Bolton Valley really, like I said before, I mean, this is really my home, you know, I mean, your childhood home is kind of your, at least for me, you know, having grown up up here and all my brothers and my family, my grandparents were up here, you know, Bolton Valley really is our home. And my parents continued to live up here through the other successive ownerships. So we'd always stayed very connected to it. And, um, and when, when Evan and my dad, you know, put the deal together to actually buy the Skiria back. We all were involved, but in a more sort of peripheral way. Um, I was working in state politics um, and, you know, had a had a career there and was sort of had, was kind of stabilized doing something very different. Um, but then when it became clear that it was really all hands on deck and and then I made the decision with my family, obviously, to come back and step into this role about a year into it, or a little less than a year into it. It was like, you know, it was like, um, obviously, I thought about it, you know, and debated it. And, you know, I, I, it sort of felt it sort of felt like I was it, it sort of felt like I was making a decision. But I think the real truth is that it wasn't really a decision. Because um, because this really is our home and it, and it needed me, you know, it needed us to come back. And, um, this, these are our roots. You know, I've said that before, these are our roots and it's really true. And, and nobody is going to work as hard for this place or love this place. You know, we're, we're owners, but, but we're also really caretakers. And I feel like, um, I feel like this is like our, I don't know. This is our offering to the world. You know, it's our little corner of the world and, and it's ours to take care of. And it, and it has that sense of kind of duty attached to it, not duty in a bad way, but in a really, in a really nice way, in a way that I'm really grateful to have that kind of an opportunity, you know, and of course, also, I guess I shouldn't skip over the fact that when somebody says, Hey, you want to come and run a ski area? That's kind of a once in a lifetime <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> so really yeah, that's uh, pretty cool. <laughs> Also fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you're having fun with it. So the, the family sold the ski area in the 90s, and I'd imagine that at the time that was the right decision for them. What made this time different? What what made the family decide that it was time for the ski area to come back into the family? Well, I mean, it's like I said, I mean, it's it was a little bit of chance, you know, like like everything in life is, I think. You know, I think it's sort of like the world just kind of spins around and things happen and something comes before you and you have a choice. You can either say yes or no, you know, to, to what's presented to you. And it was just kind of presented to us. Like I said, in a moment where my dad and Evan were in a position to put it together. Um, but I think too, you know, watching the success of owners, you know, and watching it struggle and, um, you know, kind of be successful and then somebody, you know, kind of peters out and then it goes to the next person. It's a little gut-wrenching for us, you know, because we love this place so much and and it had de- started to really deteriorate, you know. It, it There was a lot of deferred maintenance and it needed a loving hand, 
um, and it needed resources. And, um, and I think we could see the future, you know, having been here our whole lives, we know it so well, we know it so intimately, you know, I think we could see a, we could see a bright future for this place. And, um, and, uh, and I, my family is, we're kind of, you know, we all kind of have that entrepreneurial gene where I think, um, it's kind of like, you, you kind of believe you can do anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and so I think, you know, we, we can see the future. We love this place. And we just, we knew we could, we knew we could put it on the right track. We knew we could give it the attention it deserved. So let's talk about that future. You referenced a master plan earlier when you regained ownership of the ski area. I'd imagine you all sat down and said, okay, it's ours again. What are we going to do with it? Take us through that long-term vision. What what do you imagine Bolton Valley being? Well, um, you know, I'll start out by saying that, that that vision is still something that we're, that we're working on and refining and that's evolving every day. Um, but but there was some some sort of general things that were really obvious to us. You know, um, one of the things that was really obvious to us is that we watched. So when my dad had it over that 30 years, it was really vibrant year round. Um, you know, it was a ski area first and foremost. Of course, that's kind of its, its, its main front and center identity. But actually, it was really vibrant up here in the summer, too. Um, Back then, we had a really vibrant tennis program that was kind of at the heart of summer, and we had um, a nature center, and it was it was there was a lot of activity here in the summer, and and that sort of fell away over those over the course of those twenty years, and so one thing that was really obvious to us was the opportunity to bring that back, um, and Vermont, you know, we're a tourism state, and obviously the ski industry brings a lot of people to the state, but so does summertime. So, so there was an obvious growth opportunity there. And then, you know, what took some time was really figuring out the direction we wanted to go in summer. You know, what would our summer identity be? You know, how do we carve out a unique niche for ourselves in summer and, and what makes sense for us, you know, where we sit, um, you know, here in Bolton, kind of in Chittenden County and so forth. So, so that was interesting. And then, and then a lot of this stuff is just leaning on what's already working. A lot of the plan is to just lean into what's working. I mean, winter works, but like I said, you know, there was a lot of deferred maintenance. We needed to sort of, and we continue to need to, you know, sort of fix the place up and look at our infrastructure. There's a lot of infrastructure improvement projects um, that we need to take care of to sort of, um, well, everything's 50 years old. You know, so yeah. we, we gotta, we gotta elevate it, get it up to speed. And then that poises us for future growth. Um, and, you know, I don't want to freak people out when I talk about future growth. We love this. We love the place the way it is and um, the aesthetic and the character and the small feeling. And we have no intention or wish or desire to ever change that. But, but you've got to grow, you've got to grow to survive. And, and so and so, you know, we, we've got to get our infrastructure dialed in and, and then we'll, we'll look at some growth. So you've had three full seasons now of family ownership. We'll get to the COVID disruptions later. So let's set that aside for a moment. But what have you been able to achieve in that time uh, as, as far as working toward that long-term plan? Well, a lot of deferred maintenance. You know, that's really where we, where we focused initially. 
Um, and we've been working, like I mentioned, on the infrastructure. So we've done some upgrades to our snowmaking, um, not really expansion projects. We're not sort of, we're, we're actually, we're about to step into sort of the beginning of our expansion phase, but it's really been uh, more of like a shoring up phase. And now those two things will actually kind of move together, start to kind of move together. We'll continue to shore up and reinforce what's here and modernize it and bring it up to speed as we also start to grow over the next uh, 12 months, actually. But um, so we, one of the things we did that we're really excited about, it's it's not a huge thing, but it's meaningful to us in terms of our environmental goals and environmental stewardship is that we got off diesel with our snowmaking. So we bought, um, I forget, gosh, I'm actually forgetting the exact number, 30 something <laughs> high efficiency <laughs> snowmaking guns. Um, and we got rid of our diesel compressors and moved to fully electric. So um, that was one of that was one of sort of the major investments that we made early on uh, was to make those improvements to our snowmaking system and and kind of start to modernize our snowmaking system in that way. Um, we've transitioned all of our night skiing lights, which were just getting dull and were pretty expensive to operate. Um, we moved all we transitioned all of those to LED lights. So that's actually really nice. It's creating, it's again, it's kind of leaning into our existing strength of night skiing and our existing, um, you know, uniqueness of night skiing, not an expansion, but really, you know, just fixing the infrastructure up, you know, modernizing it, lowering our energy cost and our energy footprint and creating, you know, a brighter experience um, for night skiing. So those were a couple of things that we did that we're really proud of. Um, just this past summer, even despite COVID, uh, we did move forward with our plans to renovate our hotel. So the hotel was getting very tired um, and it was outdated and so forth. And, and so we did a, a, a pretty complete overhaul renovation. Again, we didn't, we didn't knock down a single wall. We didn't change the footprints of the rooms. We didn't build a new hotel. What we did was we you know, took the existing hotel and we updated it. We upgraded it. And now it is beautiful. And it's the kind of place that you want to stay, you know, slopeside when you come to a quaint ski area in Vermont. So, um, and I could go on and on, but that's the kind of thing we've been doing. It sounds like you've done quite a bit so far. And, and as you mentioned, there's a lot left that you could focus on in the future. And, you know, you always have to make decisions. So, so let's talk a little bit about the rest of that infrastructure, starting with your chairlift fleet. It's fairly old. You have three double chairs dating to the opening of the mountain in 1966. Uh, the Timberline Quad is 35 years old. What's your wish list for lift upgrades over the long term, Lindsay? Well, maybe not even too long term, <laughs> not to set too many expectations. I mean, we haven't really started down that road yet. Um, but, you know, what's at the top of my wish list personally, and people who are longtime Bolton Valley skiers might shed a little tear of nostalgia when I say this, is I would really love to see us put back in an upper double, <laughs> a little mm -hmm. upper double, like the old lift four. So um, the Vista Quad, as you mentioned, is the newest lift, and that's that runs from the base up to the top of what we now call the Vista Peak. Um, and that's really sort of our main mountain, our steeps. It's where all of our classic gnarly trails are, you know, Devil's Playground and Preacher and all that super fun skiing, Vermont 200, hard luck, uh, show off, you know, big rock, little rock. That's where all of that skiing is located. And it used to be that you would take 
what used to be called Lift 2 and is now called the Mid-Mountain Lift up halfway up the mountain. And then you'd ski across the flats and you'd hop on another little double called Lift 4, the old blue lift that would take you up to the top. And you could just lap the steeps without having to come down to the bottom. And, you know, I miss that. I think all of us sort of miss that. And the other thing that was really nice about that from an operational standpoint is that it's a lower lift and it's more tucked into the trees. And so it it's not as um, susceptible to wind hold. Um, whereas, you know, and winds, it seems to me, and, and maybe this is just because I'm like, you know, sitting where I sit now instead of being a kid and not really thinking about it, but it seems to me like wind has picked up and has become more and more of a challenge to scary operations. And um, so, so that's something that I would love to see. I'd love to, I'd love to see putting that lift back actually, or some comparable lift back like that. And then, uh, and then I would just say that the wilderness lift, lift one is probably due for a replacement in the not too distant future, though. I think we'll all cry a little bit because it is the first lift. And what would you want to put on wilderness? Um, great question. Um, I think it's probably due for a triple or a double or quad. I mean, sorry. Yeah. And would you ever consider a high speed lift or, or is that not something that's really with, with the character of your mountain? Well, I certainly wouldn't consider it on wilderness where the trails are narrow and old fashioned and we just, it would just destroy the skier experience. Um, but you know, maybe, I mean, everything is on the table, but I would say the idea of a high speed lift at Bolton is probably a ways out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there a world where we might see a higher capacity lift at wilderness, a triple or a quad, and then you take that double and stick it at mid mountain and, and get that, uh, that split vision you want for Vista? Yeah, that could be, that could be, I do. I mean, we love the hall lifts, you know, these, these old hall lifts are so durable and so reliable. Um, so yeah, I could see something like that maybe, or, or, you know, maybe some parts and pieces of it, <laughs> maybe do a Frankenstein, <laughs> Frankenstein's <Right>. monster lift. <laughs> uh, how about snowflake? That, that's just a little, uh, beginner lift. It, it, is that probably a, a little ways out for that one? Oh, I'll, we'll run that as long as we can. That lift trucks along. Like I was saying, those halls, they're just so solid. I mean, that lift is, is good to go. I don't see any, I don't see any reason to replace that lift until we have to. And how about a, a, a carpet? I, I'm not aware of a carpet that you have now. Would you, is that something you're considering for a beginner area? That could, yeah, absolutely. That could, that could be something that we would look at. We're, we're not, that's not in our immediate plan, but it is something that we've talked about because the rope toe is, is tricky for kids. You know, it's a, it's a little harder though. On the other hand, it teaches you how to ski, you know, you're on your skis up and down, you got to hold on to that thing. I mean, there's something to be said for it. You know, it, it makes, it makes good skiers. The carpet definitely babies you, but maybe that's what you want. But anyways, yes, that's possible. (laughs) (laughs) How about Timberline? Are, Are you happy with the quad over at Timberline? Yeah, I'm happy with the quad over at Timberline. Yeah, yeah, that would be. I, that seems it seems unnecessary at this moment, and and that's not very old for a lift either. Right. <laughs> so that uh, thing's a baby. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems to, it seems to run great. So I mean, that thing uh, was built in my own lifetime, so I feel like right, right. You know, focus on the on the older ones first. Right. Uh, you do have RFID gates there at Bolton Valley, which we typically see in Vermont at the larger corporate owned mountains. Uh, why did it make sense for you to put those in? 
oh, just so that people would buy lift tickets. You know, it can be, it's challenging to staff um, ticket checkers every day at every lift. I mean, truly, you know, staffing is is hard because you go from a pretty small staff, you know, in the summer, and then you got to scale up so quickly. So that scale up is always a challenge just to get, just, you know, from a pure numbers perspective. Um, And so, you know, we just, we had, frankly, a lot of people were skiing up at Bolton for free. And we needed to change that culture, you know, for us to survive, um, you know, we have to, we, we have to operate like a business. Um, and that means that, you know, we have to be compensated for the product we provide. Um, and, and gates were a, a way to do that. And also, frankly, a way for us to collect data, you know, a lot of, you know, when, before gates, um, you can see the number of lift tickets that you sell, but you have you just have guesses at how many pass holder visits you have. Um, and, you know, data is really important for us to, to have and to use as we think about how to grow into the future. You know, we want to make informed decisions so that we're making good decisions. And so it was really those two things um, that motivated us to put the gates in. And, and I mean, talk about timing. How fortuitous did it seem when COVID hit that you now just had this way that people could, if they already had an RFID card, go online, buy a ticket, load it on the card, never have to talk to a person, go right to the gate to the lift. I I, I can't tell you how grateful I am that we did that before <laughs> COVID. Like this, yes. Oh my God. Thank God. <laughs> and that's working out well for you this year? I love it. And people love it. You know, it's funny because it's so funny. Like you make a decision and half the time you make a decision, you're like, people aren't going to like this. It's going to be unpopular. And then they surprise you by being totally supportive. And in fact, telling you it was a great decision. And that's what happened with the gates. You know, I was like, oh, I hope people don't think it's, you know, we're coming in and we're changing it up and we're, you know, kind of eking out the, the special character of Bolton Valley. People actually really appreciated it. You know, nobody likes to pay for something and then have the person next to them stealing it for free. And, and I think people were really happy to see us doing that. And I, and they took it in the right spirit. You know, they're like, we're so glad to see that Bolton is making sure that people are buying lift tickets because they love Bolton, you know, and they want it to survive. And, and people are in our camp. I mean, I think with the return of the family, you know, I have the feedback that we get from the community is that they are really rooting for us. And, um, and so they, they took that in the, in exactly the same spirit that we did it in. And and that was nice. So part of the character of your mountain is the fact that you offer night skiing, one of the few ski areas in Vermont, especially Northern Vermont to do so. Uh, talk a little bit about why Bolton Valley has night skiing and how that differentiates the mountain from some of the largest ski areas in the state. Well, I mean, the way my dad tells it is he, he put in night skiing so that working people could ski. (laughs) So that's really the motivation for it. Um, and, uh, and kids, you know, because you got to go to school and you go to work and then you can come up after school or after work and, and ski. Um, so that's, that's, I think the why we have it from the sixties. Um, but it's worked for us and, and, um, it's just a part of who we are. And I think it kind of works for us too, because of our location. So, you know, we're, we're so close to Burlington. We're like a half hour from Burlington and we're a half hour from Montpelier. So we're in the most population dense part of the state. And so that after work, after school model, you know, we have 
um, you know, we have, we have a population that can support that. Whereas, you know, at some of the more remote ski areas around the state that are in less populated areas, it doesn't really make sense to, you know, finish your job, you know, at five o'clock in Burlington and drive two hours South, but, you know, driving 25 minutes to hop on a chairlift and then, you know, grab dinner and a beer at the tavern after. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to, you know, that's totally doable. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's part location and it's, part mission. So thinking long-term here, obviously you don't have the entire mountain lit. It's a pretty big mountain. Are you happy with your night skiing footprint? Is that something you would look to expand in the future? It is something that we would look to expand in the future. Not a ton, but yeah, I'd like to add a couple trails. Which ones do you have in mind? (laughs) All the secrets. Um, (laughs) Well, um, I think at the top of my list where I'm thinking right now would be Alta Vista and Hard Luck. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to get hard luck online cause it's one, it's such a fun trail and two, it just adds another expert trail. And then Alta Vista is such a, is such a great, you know, groomed intermediate trail from the top. So it just adds a whole nother sort of way down from the top. So that would, that's at the top of my list and, and maybe some other areas, but those two are in my, in my sights for sure. So you talked a little bit about snowmaking earlier. You said you were putting some new guns on the mountain. Uh, what kind of coverage do you have overall at Bolton Valley? And what is your long-term plan for the snowmaking system? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we have a pretty limited coverage for snowmaking. Um, and it, we, I definitely would like to expand the footprint of it. But to tell you the truth, before I even focus on expanding the footprint, what I'd really like to do in this year has been such a lesson in this for me. You know, so here we are, we're like you said, we're in our fourth winter and every winter I learn something new or many, many new things. Um, and one of my, one of my real lessons for this year is, is around snowmaking. Um, we have a pretty minuscule storage relative to the bigger ski areas. And our only water source is Joiner Brook, which is, you know, pretty limited, particularly when you sort of pair that with limited storage. I mean, if we could store more in the summer, that might change that dynamic. But, and then the amount of water that we can push out on the hill, you know, in any given day. So the rapidity with which we can move the water from the pond to the trails, you know, is also kind of limited. So what I'd really like, what I'm really thinking about right now is how do we, uh, again, sort of, uh, kind of in the same frame of what we were talking about before, you know, before I start to think about expanding our footprint, I really want to get that existing infrastructure to be as efficient as possible so that we're, we're sort of maximizing the footprint that we currently have. In short, all this to say, I'd like to move the water faster onto the hill and then, and then start to think about expanding the footprint. Is there a chance you could expand the pond, the storage size? Oh, there's, yes, all things are on the table. Everything is expensive. Um, and snowmaking, I can't tell you exactly what the plan is right now because I don't know, but it's something that um, is right in my crosshairs. It's actually kind of teed up for, to be like the next research project um, because I think, you know, further improvements to snowmaking um, need to be need to be pretty imminent here. So I, I think we'll have a plan together. Probably it'll, you know, everything takes time to really do that work, but I would say within the next 12 months, if you ask me this question 12 months from now, I could probably, I'd probably tell you what our snowmaking master plan is, but we're, we're just digging into it. 
Well, while you sort all that out, fortunately, Bolton Valley gets a lot of natural snow. Your snow report often refers to the Bolton snow globe. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why it is that this part of Vermont that you sit in gets so much more snow than other parts of the state? Oh, my gosh. Um, Well, I can tell you that a part of it is our base elevation. So, you know, a lot of times it's really it's 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 really interesting. Our um, we're at twenty one hundred feet and a lot of the ski areas are like, I don't know, around fifteen hundred feet, something like that. Mm-hmm. And as you drive up the access road at Bolton, which I believe the bottom of the access road is four hundred. So you really you get to you just climb the elevation <laughs> in about, you know, like a six minute drive straight up right. to twenty one hundred feet. And it's like I can't tell you the number of times where you get to the S curve, which is probably at about 1500 feet and it turns to snow, the rain turns to snow. And so that base elevation serves us very well. The temperature, you'll, you'll be at the bottom and you look at your car thermometer and it'll be, you know, like 35 degrees and you'll get to the top and it'll be, you know, 26, 27 degrees. And that's the difference between rain rain and snow. Um, And it happens over and over and over again every winter so, you know, I can point to that, but in terms of the different, you know, effects of the lake and the way the mountains are and all of this, um, actually our marketing department, they have become like, uh, they've basically become, um, I'm spacing the name, you know, weathermen. Um, mm-hmm. they, 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 they'll send me these long and involved things about the winds and it's coming from this direction. It's this type of storm and it's going to hit the mountains here and it's going to spin this direction and this and that. And that's why we're going to have all the snow. But, but don't ask me, I can't tell you, but yes, there's something <laughs> going on. <laughs> so, so you have a great Meteorologists. Meteorologists. Yeah, okay, that's what go. I was trying to say. <laughs> so you, you have a, a very good location and you're right there by the lake and you have that nice elevation. I'm curious what your current land footprint looks like. I was looking at an original master plan from the 1960s on newenglandskihistory.com and I'm going to quote this. The master plan would have featured 75 miles of ski trails spanning over 3,100 vertical feet from the 3,720-foot summit of Bolton Mountain to Interstate 89. 14 chairlifts would have served the ski area, tying together five base areas. Lift-served peaks would have included Stimson Mountain, Bone Mountain, Woodward Mountain, Ricker Mountain, and Bolton Mountain, the latter of which was considered for an aerial tramway. End quote. Uh, That would have made it one of the largest, if not the largest, ski area in New England. If money were no obstacle, what part of this master plan would still be achievable today based upon your current land holdings? <laughs> I'm just loving you reading that. That is so classic, Dad. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, he is a visionary. First and foremost, my dad is a visionary. Um, if money was no object and permitting was no object, which is probably a bigger object than money, to be honest, mm-hmm. Um, there's money out there if you have a good business plan. Um, and you know, ownership was no object. That sounds so great. But, um, but our footprint has really shrunk in terms of land that we actually own and control. Um, I I might get this wrong and I should have checked with my dad before this interview, but, um, I think when my grandfather first bought the land here, I think he bought 8,000 acres Mm -hmm. and then, uh, and then he sold, I know they sold some right away. Um, probably just to raise some capital. And um, I think when my dad operated the ski area, I think he operated it with, I think he had a 6,000 acre parcel. Now we have Bolton Valley owns um, about a thousand acres and it's pretty much the footprint of the ski area. 
um, and, you know, and the village. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely limited in that way. Now, that being said, my family did retain about 250 acres down on Route 2, which we still own. And just this summer, um, I actually partnered with a friend of mine, and we formed a separate business, and we purchased 1,800 acres that connect to my family's parcel down on Route 2 and go up to the peak of Bone Mountain, which almost connects us to Bolton Valley. There's just Mm -hmm. uh, a little slice of land between the top of Vista and that parcel. So... Obviously, that's a separate business, but but it has Bolton Valley's best interest at heart, let's say. So I think there could be some opportunities. There could be some opportunities there for something, and we'll have to see how that plays out. Well, what is your intention <laughs> with that 1,800 acres? Did, did you buy it for skiing purposes, or, or what do you have in mind for that? No, we are, we're, we're, we're putting in a sugar bush. Uh, what? A what? Sh- a sugar bush, uh, not a sugar bush ski area. A sugar bush, like a uh, we're making maple. Sh- we're making um, we're tapping oh, okay. maple trees. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm a city slicker, so I'm not. Right, <laughs> right. sorry, yeah, it's sugar woods, sugaring woods. Right. Okay. 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 Interesting. Um, is so you you have a really strong backcountry side country culture up there. Is there the potential that some of that land could be opened up for folks who? Oh, it's open. Consider it open. Yes, please go for it. Ski. Enjoy yourself. Yeah, I love skiing Bone Mountain. I mean, um, actually, one of one of um, our favorite areas to ski, uh, backcountry ski, is on Bone Mountain. So, so yeah, we'll we'll actually we'll ski there. All we ski there all the time. So let's talk (laughs) a little bit about that culture for a moment. It's 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 one of the strongest backcountry scenes in the Northeast, partially because of that, all that natural snow that you get. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about that tradition and how that enriches the culture at Bolton Valley? Yeah. Um, well, we love our backcountry skiing and, you know, there is a rich tradition, but I think in a nutshell, just one thing to just sort of never forget is one of the coolest things about running a ski area is you get to do the things you like to do. You know, you get, you get to have some passion projects. And backcountry is a passion project for us. I mean, we just, we love back, me and my brothers, we love backcountry skiing. So I'd say that's probably the biggest reason why <laughs> we've, right. le- we've leaned into it so much just because we like it. But, right. um, but there is a really rich tradition that dates back to before my grandfather bought the land. Um, and, and, you know, I, I actually don't, I, I wouldn't position myself as an expert on this history at all, but there was a guy, Gardner Lane, and a lot of things up here are named after Gardner Lane. And the reason being is he was sort of, he and his friends and how he sort of became the name that rose up, I don't, I don't really know. But he and his friends were, were skiing back in these woods, you know, long before it was a ski area. Um, and I believe that when my dad was, you know, thinking about how to put in the, the, the ski area, both one of the other unique things about us that we haven't really talked about too is kind of connects to this is that we also have a really big Nordic center. So now it's our Nordic and backcountry center. But when they were, you know, putting in the ski area, the Alpine and and the Nordic, um, Gardner Lane, I, I believe, really helped my dad sort of lay that out and get to know the lay of the land and know where the skiing was and how that would work. Um and 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 so and so it was sort of founded, you know, out of all the skiing that those guys had done. Um, over the years. And then, and then Gardner, 
um, and his friends um, continued to to hang out up here and continued to glade out trails and continued to ski in the backcountry. And even now, there's a group they call themselves the Old Goats, who are a kind of like direct lineal descendant of Gardner Lane and his friends. And they come up and they help us clear out the glades and um, you know, make sure the signs are up and they, they, they help us to maintain our, our Nordic and our backcountry center just for the love of skiing. Um, and they do it as volunteers and, and, um, and because, you know, like I said before, for so many people, this is, this is their home. This is, these are their grounds. So, so related to that, you're one of the few ski areas in the region that actually rents out backcountry kits and gear. Talk a little bit about that business and how big of a part of your overall operation that is. It's a pretty small part of our overall operation, but it gets outsized attention and outsized love. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's really my brother, Adam, is um, so he's up here working full time. And, and that that's really his project. Um, he had the idea when we got back here that that we should really lean into the backcountry in a way that it hadn't been leaned into before. Um, Bolton is really unique in that you can access so much terrain from our ski area, so much backcountry terrain. I mean, you know, whether it's going out through our inbounds Nordic center, which is 1200 acres, um, which is now owned by the land trust. You know, it used to be part of the original footprint. It was sold to the land trust by the previous owners, and now we lease it for our Nordic and backcountry center. So we've got 1,200 inbounds acres there, um, which is unique because it creates a kind of controlled environment to learn how to backcountry ski um, because we have patrol and it's mapped and it's close to the ski area. But then from there, you can really go out and 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 ski amazing terrain. I mean, you can ski all the way over and we do this on a regular basis. You can go out and you can ski all the way, you know, over to Stowe um, and all the skiing in between. And it's just a Mecca. And then from the top of Vista, like you had mentioned the Woodard range before and Bone Mountain as areas that my dad had envisioned putting a chair, you know, putting chairlifts. There aren't chairlifts, but there's amazing skiing all along there. And, and so you can access those from the top of the lift. And it's, so we have this, um, you know, we've got this access to side country that is really unique. You can, you can catch a lift up and basically get a freebie and then just sort of traverse out for your first run. And then, you know, you save your legs, you get that extra run and, and then you're, and then you're lapping it up to, for as long as, as long as your body lets you. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. And, and my brother, Adam, and my, and our two older brothers, Eric and Rob, in the time between, let's say, um, <laughs> um, they have traveled all over the world skiing um, and touring around the world, um, you know, for ski movies back in the 90s and early 2000s, and then just for the love of it. Um, and so, you know, they're bringing back a lot of that, you know, really Adam is bringing back a lot of that experience and that culture and we're creating something that is, you know, maybe unique in Vermont. What they're bringing back to Vermont from, you know, from France and from Europe and from Asia and Alaska, you know, this this culture of touring and backcountry skiing that that actually exists here too. The the nice thing about backcountry skiing in Vermont is 
is there's so many trees, you know, there's not the same kind of exposure to avalanche danger and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. But the skiing is awesome. Um, it's just amazing. So, you know, we sort of, like, in the same kind of spirit that we see ourselves as the place where Vermonters can learn to ski, we also see ourselves as the place where people in New England can come to learn to backcountry. Um, it's a growing part of the sport. There's a lot of interest in it. The new gear has made it so much more accessible. Um, you know, like the Dinafit gear, for example, when I got my first set up on Dinafits, and I swear to God, I'm not like, you know, being an advertisement for them, but <laughs> it was just so incredible. The skis are so light. The bindings are light. The boots are light. You're just like, oh my God. Um, and the transitions are so simple. So all of that has really made it something that is potentially more accessible to people, but um, the gear is also very expensive and people don't know how to do it. They don't know their way around the woods. They don't know how to do it safely. You know, there's a lot of sort of barriers, financial and psychological um, and skills-based to getting into it. And, and so in the same kind of spirit that we do everything at Bolton, I think we saw an opportunity to share something that we love with our community. And in this case, I think our community is, you know, it's really New England. I mean, I think we're really the place in New England where, where people can come and learn to backcountry ski and we'll take them out. We'll give them an intro clinic. We'll get them the gear. We'll show them how to use it. And then as they, as they progress in their skills or if they already know how to do it, you know, we'll just uh, give them a guide and, um, and show them where the goods are. (laughs) Well, it's definitely something that sets Bolton Valley apart. Uh, for for the larger majority of skiers who like to stay inbounds, um, how how is your season pass business holding up this season? I know there was a lot of concern about travel restrictions in Vermont and and how that would negatively impact ski areas throughout the state. Even acknowledging that those travel restrictions have helped Vermont have a very low infection rate compared to the rest of the United States. How is your season pass base held up? Well, our season pass base has held up just fine. In fact, we sold more seasons passes this year than last year. Um, Well, our market is local. Our season pass Mm -hmm. market is local. You know, we're in the middle of the state. So it's not like, you know, somebody who lives in New York is going to, you know, shoot up here for a day skiing, you know, for a day trip. Um, It's a little bit more of a commitment from some of the metro areas. And like I mentioned before, we, you know, we live 30 minutes from Burlington and 30 minutes from Montpelier. So we get the majority of our season pass holders are local. So you also joined for the 2019 to 20 season, the Indy Pass. Uh, so Indy Pass holders get two days at your mountain as well as 50 some other mountains. And you rejoined it for this season. So it seems as though the partnership's going well. From your point of view, why did you join the Indy Pass and how is that partnership going? Um, I think the partnership is going great. I mean, I think the Indy Pass is still, you know, it takes a few years for anything to sort of find itself. And I think it's still finding itself. But the spirit of the Indy Pass and... Um, what Doug Fish wanted to create with that product is something that we kind of epitomize. You know, it's like, okay, in the world of, you know, corporate skiing, we're a little family resort, you know, making a go of it and, um, and, um, and filling sort of a part of the market that, that in in some ways has kind of opened up with that corporatization of the bigger ski areas. Um, So, you know, there's a market, there's people, people are interested in, you know, lower price points for sure than those big guys, but they're also interested in a different experience. You know, there's something, 
I mean, skiing is skiing and skiing is awesome and skiing at big mountains is awesome. So do not get me wrong. But, you know, there is some homogenization of the experience and some disnification and some plastification. Um, and that's just not here. You know, it's like here we're, we ski because we love to ski and we're tied to the local community and our buildings are a little older and there's something funky and, and cozy and cool and authentic about that because it is authentic and people crave that, you know? So, so it's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, um, what am I trying to say? It's like a curated list of places that you can go and have a unique experience. So it sounds like that partnership is working out for you. Bolton Valley did leave the Freedom Pass partnership this off season, which had offered three lift tickets to season pass holders from partner mountains like Magic or Platykill in New York or Black Mountain over in New Hampshire. Uh, take us into your decision to leave the Freedom Pass partnership. Um, well, the reciprocation of the Freedom Pass, you know, I didn't, I think that it's, it was a purely business decision is what I'll say. Um, and that's just the truth of it. You know, we were kind of the big dog on that pass, if you will. And so I think people were buying passes at other places, knowing that they'd get three days here. We were giving out a lot of free passes. And I don't think that anybody was buying a Bolton pass to go ski at the other ski areas or, you know, I don't, I don't think that that same calculus was happening in our favor. And so I think that, um, we were on the giving end of that, um, in a way that wasn't giving back to us. So I think that was our decision. And and the Indy pass felt like, um, felt like it really fit our brand identity and, um, and I liked that it was a, had a national perspective. And I also liked the way that Doug was really focusing on the connection between the really small metro ski areas and the sort of midsize independent resorts like Bolton Valley. And it felt like a cool way to make new connections with people in some of those metro areas. And, you know, not this year because of COVID, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but generally speaking, you know, I think... Bolton Valley would like a larger, a larger market share from those metro areas, and and this felt like a way to break into break into some of those markets, um, and be connected with a bunch of other really cool and unique ski areas at the same time. Well, it sounds like the partnership's working out well, and it's interesting to watch it grow. Uh, last question for you here, Lindsay. Back in November, you put out a video um, that you said your focus this coming season would be on survival. Uh, and this came on the tail end of what you called, quote, a lot of really hard decisions, uh, end quote, including the elimination of discounts, booting up in the car and other things to help maintain social distancing. And you told New England Ski Journal that you hesitated to put it out because it was too doom and gloom. Um, but the video was well received for its honesty and for your obvious passion for the mountain. How are you feeling about survival now? You've had a few weeks to, to really see this whole thing play out and operate. Well, we will survive. Um, we will survive. I'm confident in that. I was confident in that going into it. Um, we just had to make some, you know, some challenging decisions to ensure that. And I think that's what we meant to communicate, you know, and to let people know. But, um, but we're in a good, we're in a good position. Our community has rallied around us. Our season pass sales were good. Um, night skiing is off the hook this year. I, I think right. it's probably because there's nothing else to do at night. <laughs> but we love it. Um, and we'll take it, whatever the cause may be you know, but it's a lean year. I mean, people can come and they can ski their brains out, but 
they're just you're just not going to have the same number of people in the base lodge, um, you know, eating at the tavern. You're not going to have the same number of people staying in the hotel, and 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 that takes a bite out. So it's a lean year, but I think that we have made some really smart decisions, and um, the credit for that has to go to the team. I mean our management team and our leadership team came together and put together a really smart operating plan um, that's going to carry us through. And, and the support of our community is strong and that's going to carry us through. Well, I'm so glad to hear it, Lindsay. I cannot thank you enough for your time today. I, I wish you the best of luck with the rest of your season and, and well into the future. Thank you so much. This was really fun. That's Lindsay Delorier, president of Bolton Valley, Vermont. What a great story. What a great family. What a great ski area. You know, I had this whole line of questioning prepared for Lindsay about, hey, what's it like to have Sugarbush and Mad River Glen to your south and Stowe and Smuggler's Notch to your north? How do you compete with that? But listening to Lindsay, you can see it's a completely unnecessary line of questioning. People go to Bolton Valley because they love Bolton Valley and they love it because of the way it's run and because of who runs it. Awesome job, Lindsay. Thank you so much for that. And thank you all for listening. We've got lots more like that on the way, including Wyndham President Chip Siemens, Sunday River GM Brian Heon, and Ski Vermont President Molly Mehar, among many others that I am working on and not ready to announce yet. Subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com to get those as soon as they're live. Stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester. Talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.